Why are you putting me in these positions, Dave? <laughs> you wanted to do this. I can't think of any other worse story than that. I mean, no, that's a good one. I'm trying to think. I don't. I don't think I've ever had any. I mean, I was scared. Yeah, I guess I was really scared during that story. That that flight. This is Flying With a Purpose, a podcast brought to you by Flight Review and Melbourne Flight Training. I'm David Allen, a student pilot currently pursuing my private pilot certificate. And I'm Derek Fallon, a certified flight instructor and the owner of Melbourne Flight Training. Got a question about flight training or aviation in general? We'd love to answer it. Details about how to send us your questions will be at the end of the show. Now, let's get to the good stuff. So if you haven't figured it out, uh, I'm talking with Derek here. We're, we're back at Melbourne Airport. Hello. Uh, where where the flight school is here, where uh, uh, Melbourne Flight Training is, and and we're talking about we're talking about scary t- scary times in the cockpit. And so I asked I asked Derek, and he's going to answer this. I asked Derek, what was the scariest flight that you ever had had with a student? And I think I'm just going to set my mic down and listen. It was Hawaii to San Francisco, 1954. It was a DC four. With John Wayne. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and, and and for the record, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> scrub the <laughs> scrub the content for names and destinations so that uh, we want to protect the, the innocent. I just wanted to throw a quick high and mighty <laughs> reference in there. No, um, yeah, we're we're talking about the, the, you know scary flights and instructors in general. I think instructors just to just to preface this whole conversation. Instructors make mistakes. Instructors learn from their mistakes, and they learn from their students' mistakes because their students are always making mistakes, right? Every pilot's always making mistakes. Even even very experienced pilots are making mistakes all the time at major airlines and stuff like that. So um, we learn from them. I, I firmly believe that good judgment comes from experience. That's the good news. The bad news is experience usually comes from bad judgment. Right. Yeah. I don't think that I, I don't think it's necessarily like bad judgment. I think people sometimes accidentally overlook things and that causes them to make a mistake. Sure. But some stuff is really bad judgment. <laughs> there's a lot of really bad judgment out there. Um and there's not enough training going on to prevent it. But that's another that's another podcast, another story. We actually talked um, about that uh, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. So I mean the scariest time uh I've had it. I've had an engine failure. I've had numerous fires and loss of cabin depressurization in the flight levels. I've had all those things happen to me. But as a flight instructor, the scariest uh, thing that ever happened to me was almost running out of fuel because I was a dumb flight instructor. So basically, the story behind that was uh, we were going between two airports. It was. About midday, uh, it was a long flight. It was a long cross-country IFR with a, here, get this, a private pilot student. So pre-private pilot, IFR cross-country, right? So this, so to back up a little bit, this private pilot wanted to go on a trip. They wanted to go somewhere and visit, and we were going to stay overnight. And I wasn't too smart about checking the weather. So uh, we went up there, and it was great flight up there the day before everything was fine no reason to believe that the weather the next day would be any worse woke up and it's just socked in 400 500 overcast uh and stratiform clouds constant light rain uh to to moderate precipitation 
um, spread out embedded rain throughout the system, looking at the satellite, looking at the radar, headed home. It was just uh, everywhere, all over the state, and uh, we were going to fly through it all the way back. So, you know, I'm an IFR-rated pilot and a flight instructor. We need to get home. Uh, It doesn't look like there's any ice from my perspective, so let's go ahead and do this. And that was my decision. So I went in and I told the student, I said, hey, can you just uh, make sure that the FBO tops the airplane off? And he's like, yeah, I'll take care of that. And uh, I'll, you know, I'll meet you at the airplane. Okay, no problem. So I went into the flight planning room, looked at the weather, looked at the notams, did all the super right pilot stuff that I could possibly think of to do. Because I was like, wow, this is a big deal. It's IFR. I got a private pilot student here. He's going to learn a lot from this, but I'm not really like super on point today right so um i just want to make sure that i cover all my bases because it's you know i'm flying ifr with a with a student pilot basically right and and you know you're flying ifr into heavy imc you know you've got to be on game like there's there's no there's no taking the the hood off to just figure out where you're at if you get lost like you are in you're you know you're in the soup right yeah we were going to be in the precip Flying back via routes. This is pre-GPS days. This is a long time ago. Um, and, you know, I was going to be the PIC of the airplane because he wasn't instrument rated and we're not doing instrument training. We're just trying to get this airplane home. So I trusted him and I, I told him, top off the airplane. He said, okay, no problem. So I went in and did the pre-flight planning. Went out there, walked in the rain all the way down the ramp. I remember, I'll never forget walking in the rain that day. The plane was very far from the FBO. Uh, got to the airplane, and the good thing about flying a Cessna 172 is that you can kind of hang out under the wing. Right. And uh, they finished fueling the airplane right in front of me. I was right there when he finished fueling the airplane. He, they uh, they put the hose away. The truck drove off. I was like, good, we're all topped off. And um, I was getting in the plane while the the student was going around the airplane checking the, the fuel and, you know, straining it, even though it was raining. You know, back then, we didn't pour it back into the tanks. We pour it on the ground which is not a good practice anymore we you know it's leaded fuel so we pour it back into the tank so back then you could just discard it uh we don't do that anymore just to reiterate we don't do that anymore <laughs> um <laughs> so uh i was in the plane he jumped in the plane and and we took off uh everything looked good and uh keep in mind this is a uh this was probably a n model 172 and those gauges don't they're not very accurate they they show and they're supposed to be accurate but how many flight schools do you see that have super accurate tuned fuel gauges? Uh, not a lot of them do a good job. And th- this was actually a flying club airplane at the time uh, that I was doing some freelance flight instruction. And so we're flying this plane back, and we're cruising along in, in IFR, and I think we were maybe two hours into the flight uh, en route. And I looked over at the fuel gauges, and they were both on E. And uh, I just remember feeling this incredibly sinking feeling uh like why does it say that we've been airborne for two hours why do both tanks say e and and you have so many hours of fuel on board how many is that well you have five hours in 172 n you know at eight gallons an hour worst case rich of peak you should you should have eight gallons an hour uh 40 gallons total uh five hours of fuel five on hours board, of fuel right? and so you're two hours into the flight and these things are rating empty they're at e yeah they're there so now, keep in mind, at this time, I've got less than 250 hours of flight time because I did all my flight training, 141. I'm a very inexperienced CFI and instrument pilot. I've had a few flights in my life that were hard IMC. Um, I've shot maybe one or two approaches down to minimums 
in my life and i immediately panicked <laughs> good job <laughs> <laughs> i immediately panicked at this point so i'm looking at these fuel gauges and, and i'm like oh man why does it say e and i looked at the student and i said hey why do those fuel gauges say e how much fuel did you put in the plane and he looked at me and he said and keep in mind we're young adults very young adults and he says oh i didn't have enough money so i just told him to put 10 gallons in the plane oh man yeah <laughs> and so i just you, knew you right asked then him to top it off i have to i asked him to top the plane off so that we had 40 gallons of gas so there would be no question that based on my three-hour flight plan to get where we were going with reserve that we would be able to land at the airport and having more than enough gas that if we had to hold or if we had to shoot multiple approaches all those things that i thought were taken care of uh, in my mind were now completely off the table and everything is now unplanned so i'm freaking out and i'm scared and i'm flying along uh i remember uh i asked orlando if we could get you know if we could go direct to uh, the airport we were going to. Did you notify them that you had a fuel situation at that time? No, I didn't. And that was another mistake that I made. And we'll talk about that too, because okay. I'd like to address that. So I asked them, I said, hey, I'd like to get, you know, vectored in for an approach and come in and land uh, as soon as possible. And they were like, well, you know, we're we're stacked out on the approach. It's low overcast. And they got the people holding out there to come in. And by that time, I am, as soon as he told me that, I'm panicking. So... We figured that we were maybe 20 miles north of the field at this time based on this is DME days and triangulation of VORs. And I found a spot as we're, we're, we're headed southbound, so we're headed south of the front. I found a spot and I could see the ground and maintain VFR down to, down to the ground. So I orbited... I canceled, I canceled IFR right away. I said, oh, uh, this airplane, we're canceling IFR. I can't remember what the tail number was. And we orbited down and did kind of like a steep spiral from like 5,000 feet down to 1,000 feet or maybe 800 feet AGL. And I knew where I was because I could recognize the terrain because I had been given some flight instruction in the area. And we made a beeline for the airport. And when we called the tower, I said, hey, listen, I can I just... I'm VFR to the north. Uh, can I get special VFR in? Because the weather was starting to drop. So I got a special VFR from the edge of the class delta in to land on the on the main runway. And it was pretty quick. It happened pretty fast. I was very lucky. They were able to work me in, even though they had IFR traffic shooting the approach into the field. They just kind of got me between two jets or something like that. I can't remember the exact circumstances. But I remember landing and just feeling so incredibly relieved that it was over and I didn't die. <laughs> Because so, you were worried about that. I was like, worried. I was freaking out. And, I mean, they were solid on E. You know, just solid. And I was so upset. I was so mad that at myself for for the for the misjudgment, you know, making that mistake. And we'll talk about that. But So we taxi in, and we taxi the FBO and the flying club ramp that they have there. And we park. And... uh they always it was a flying club, so they always had to fuel the airplane right after. We always had to make sure it was topped off when we were done because that's how you you paid for the plane dry and then you paid for gas. And back then, gas was like under two dollars a gallon. It was an incredible time for flying because it was so cheap. Um, the fuel truck pulls up and they start putting gas in it, and it got to forty, 
and it didn't stop. And it's a 172N, and a 172N has 40 gallons of usable and 43 total gallons of fuel on board. So I'm like, whoa, it just went past 40. And it went right to 41.5 gallons when they finished topping off the second tank. So you had a gallon and a half of fuel left. A gallon and a half of unusable fuel. Unusable fuel. Remaining in the system. Wow. And I just, at that moment, I, I, I literally questioned all of my judgment from that point as an aviator previously. But from, like, like, what have I been doing wrong? How did I get in this position I'm supposed to be the leader. I'm supposed to be the educator. I'm supposed to be the professional. All these things in my head are hitting me all at the same time. And I was so mad at myself. I was mad at the student, but it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. I didn't check. Um, now I have a policy where every time we land, we land or take off somewhere, I'll lean on the on the stabilizer in the back of the airplane and look up at the top of the wings to make sure both fuel caps are there, you know, after we fuel it. Um, and I'll also, if we fueled it or serviced it or we're in between flights, I'll jump up there with a stick and I have sticks in all my airplanes now and I'll stick the tanks and make sure that I have X gallons on board the aircraft or we don't fly. You know, I never trust what the gauges say and I never, ever, ever trust even another professional pilot or instructor. You know, even when I'm training an instructor, I'm like, Are "You sure we have 15 gallons of side on board?" And I, I won't trust them. I'll jump up there and check it. And it takes a second to do it. It takes a second, you know, just yeah. to just to kind of be cognizant of what's going on. And I failed to do that and put me and the and the other guy in the plane at risk because he's a student. He doesn't. He has the excuse that, "Hey, I'm a student. I can make a mistake. I don't have an excuse. I'm supposed to be in charge of of the operation." Um. So that was really tough, and that, that still echoes in my mind often, and I see images from that flight in my head, and it really bothers me that I let that happen. So we've touched a couple of them already, but what are the lessons that you learned throughout this experience, and and what are the, you know, you've also mentioned some of the things you've changed. What, what, what are the things that you've changed to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't ever happen again? And so I'm guessing it hasn't. So the first thing is, is well, what was the situation of the flight, right? So the situation of the flight was, we're going to go outside of what we're trying to do as a, as a flight training operation. And the student wants to do a cross-country that's fun. It's an experiential-based, like, training. And we're going to go somewhere because he wants to and do something that we wouldn't normally do. We're going to go farther than we would go with a private pilot ever, even though it's dual. And it's fine. Uh you really got to look at everything and it, and you you can't you can't uh, be very short-sighted about weather and the route the airspace um uh, of course this is pre-internet times i mean we had wsi at some of the fbo's and stuff like that when they first came out um nice fbo's had that but it was really like you could it was everything was text-based so you kind of looked at the synopsis and you kind of figured it out by text if it was going to be okay. Um, and I probably didn't even look at that the first day to know how it was going to be the next day. So as far as planning is concerned, if you're going to do something that you've never done before, super, super plan. As much planning as possible. It's never too much planning. And consult with everybody else who you're flying with to make sure you haven't missed anything. 
Okay, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is never let the student out of your sight. And that's not an insult to the student. It's really because it's your job as a CFI to be their mentor and to make sure that, like, you know, some people get into the rhythm with their student where they're like, okay, you go out in pre-flight and I'm going to be inside debriefing this other student and then I'll brief you and then we'll go fly. And that's not really a good practice because what you should be doing is you should be watching them pre-flight every once in a while to make sure that they're not missing anything. Because if they've been doing something wrong, chances are they're repeating what they're doing wrong over and over and over again because they either don't know that they're supposed to do it or they don't know how to do it and they're afraid to ask you. And the other thing is, is post-flight is just as important. What, what should I have done the day we landed at the airport? I should have gone up there and stick the tanks and find out how much fuel we had at that moment so that I knew how much fuel we had landed with. And if I sticked it again the next day after they fueled it, I would know that we wouldn't have, we hadn't put enough fuel in there. Of course I would have known because it wasn't topped off right <laughs> right away. And obviously, you know, the, the $20 it would have taken back then to fuel that airplane up wouldn't have been a deal breaker for me as an instructor. Right. And I wouldn't have said, no, I'm not paying for that. So that's, that's another lesson is to be involved with your students, be there, observe them, make sure they're doing something right. And, and if you're not going to be doing that all the time, you need to every once in a while cross check what they're doing versus what you would do and make sure that they're doing the right thing. And then obviously the third thing is, you know, check the fuel, <laughs> check, check the, the fuel, fuel caps, check the oil. I, to this day, I even do it to myself. I even double check after myself to make sure that the oil cap's on, there's enough oil in the plane, there's the fuel is filled up to where I want it to be, and the caps are on both fuel tanks. Even when I'm flying, I'll check it multiple times just to make sure it's right. And that's okay. But I have a system and I use a checklist and I don't, you know, I don't take chances. Always have more than enough fuel. Because there's no excuse. There wouldn't have been any excuse for me that day. As a as a student pilot myself, I, I like to read a lot of these um, accident and incident reports because, again, I you know I feel like I'm not going to live long enough to make all the mistakes myself. So I better learn from the mistakes of others. And um, fuel starvation is one of those that I just don't get. Like I don't I don't understand how that can happen. But you know, even listening to your story, I can hear how. It, the the circumstances presented themselves that this that this occurred, and there was any number of places where you could have headed that off, and and prevented this from happening. And so, you know, no usually incidences are never a single thing; it's a chain of events. Mm-hmm. And so, as we are disciplined as pilots, as student pilots and professional pilots, as we get disciplined in that area, if we remain disciplined in every aspect, then we would catch these kinds of things at any number of different places and be able to stop them before they become a life-threatening issue like they were in this case. Right. It's, there's, there was definitely more than three breaks in that chain. And we're seriously lucky that nothing, you know, I didn't become a statistic that day. We didn't become a statistic or, you know, I didn't end up, even if we wouldn't have become a statistic and we would have landed safely somehow after we ran out of gas, I would have paid the ultimate price, you know, with respect to, uh, with respect to being in trouble with the FAA because, uh, what I did was foolish. Um, 
There's not much more we could say. I mean, nope. it was it was a it was a bad decision, and that happens all the time. And so when you look at these accidents, go you got to ask yourself, could I could that ever be me? Like so, there's a big conversation in the professional pilot world, and this is worth segueing into. Pilots land at the wrong airport all the time. Airline pilots with two crew on board, fully automated cockpits, land at the wrong airport. It happens all the time. And everybody's really quick to throw stones. And everybody's really quick to say, I would never do that. But how do you know that they weren't the same guys that were just saying that? And is there's very real chance that even the most astute or professionalist, the, 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 the Christmas uniform wearing dude on the flight line who's never had a problem is the next guy to make a mistake. Just a warning. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Derek, thanks so much for, for kind of being vulnerable with us on that and sharing us that story. That's a that's an amazing story, and I'm glad it worked out, obviously. Yeah, yeah we had a little discussion beforehand about whether I was going <laughs> to tell that story or not. And I hope I hope I told it well enough to make you understand that, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't something that, you know, I'm not telling it to you because it, it was, I guess, like, hey, look at this or whatever. It, it, it's, a really a le- it's really a solid lesson on what not to do. Right. So learn from my mistakes and sure. don't don't let your don't let your students put you in a position. Make cool. sure you're watching them. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Um, you know, this has been flying with a purpose, and uh, we'll be back again soon with another episode uh, talking more about uh, you know flight training and certified flight instructors and things we can do to become better pilots and get from here to there. Stories of Derek doing bad things. Well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Flying with a Purpose. If you'd like us to consider answering your question on the show, send us an email to podcast at flightreview.tv. That's podcast at flightreview.tv. We would love to hear from you. Also, check out the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash flightreview for the latest flight training episode. Derek is trying to turn me into a pilot in front of the world. Finally, if you like this show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out to have some five-star ratings, especially when we are just starting out. Again, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Flying with a Purpose. Mm